So I say we're going to uh, have a think about this in uh, two parts. Uh, let me pray for us quickly as we engage with these words. Heavenly Father, uh, before we come to confess our sins, uh, as we think about this oh-so-familiar life, please would you show us more of what it is to be your forgiven people and how we can live in the light of that. Amen. Here we are, what is it, week six in the Lord's Prayer? We've been going through pretty slowly, haven't we? Line by line. Uh, but one of the great things about it has, I think, been that we've been sort of plumbing its depths, finding out the riches that it contains, the ways in which it is a blessing to us, this prayer that Jesus teaches. But I think as well, as, as always tends to happen when you spend time uh, looking deeply at a bit of the Bible, is it contains surprises. These oh-so-familiar words that we've rattled out perhaps countless times before, See, when you pause and think about what they say and what they mean, there are surprises. Uh, and not just surprises, sometimes it raises questions. And that's true for us this morning. This oh so familiar line, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we've uh, forgiven our debtors. It raises a question, I think, which is, why would forgiven people need to ask for forgiveness? Why would forgiven people need to ask for forgiveness? Because Jesus is uh, teaching his disciples, his followers. They are, and will go on to be, at the time that Matthew's writing this for us, he's addressing people who are forgiven. So why would forgiven people need to ask for forgiveness? It's worth saying, just to sort of uh, clear it up, uh, Matthew's using the word debt here. Uh, We're perhaps more familiar with the Lord's Prayer in the language that Luke uses, where he asks, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, Matthew only uses the word debt twice in his gospel here and in a parable in chapter 18 that we're going to think about a bit later. It's it's thinking about sins, okay? So there's no issue uh, with using the the different words. Uh, This is a prayer asking for uh, forgiveness of sins. Yeah, the kids have headed out. If you want to join them, that'd be great. And it's a daily prayer. Uh, so as we were thinking about before that petition, give us today our daily bread. Uh, it's then and, forgive us our debts, and uh, lead us not into temptation. This is a daily thing as we pray. So forgiven people are to ask for forgiveness daily. The question though is why? Uh, one wrong reason and two uh, good reasons. Here's the wrong reason. Uh, we don't ask for forgiveness to stay forgiven. We don't ask for forgiveness to stay forgiven. That would be a very mechanical view uh, of prayer. Uh, If you like what we might think of as a a kind of etch-a-sketch view of prayer. The etch-a-sketch view says, I'm a big etch-a-sketch, and as I sin, I'm sort of putting black marks on myself. I think we've got a picture. There we go. Brilliant. As I sin, I kind of put black marks on myself. And so what I need to do is I need to go to God and ask for his forgiveness. And when I ask for forgiveness, it's a little bit like that sort of big white thing that just wipes the slate clean, uh, and then all is well. Uh, but then the trouble is I carry on living and speaking and thinking and doing things which are offensive to God and make him sad. And so I keep adding more to the extra sketch. And so I've got to go back to him and ask him to wipe the slate clean, slate clean again. That's one way of thinking about forgiveness. That uh, would be a very Roman Catholic way to think about forgiveness. Uh, it's why people get very caught up with uh, the last rites, needing before they die to have the slate wiped clean, because otherwise, what about all the extra stuff that they've acquired? 
It's not what the Bible says. It's not the way the Bible talks about the forgiveness that we're offered in the Lord Jesus. See, remember this prayer begins, our Father. The Christian can approach God in confidence as a child before their heavenly Father. If you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ today, all of your sins, past, present, future, they were dealt with at the cross. It's that simple. From the perspective of the cross, all of your sins that are past, present and future to you were all of them future, all of them fully known by God, all of them fully dealt with once and for all by the death of the Lord Jesus. See, that is how Paul can say uh, in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sin, past, present, future dealt with at the cross. No condemnation there if you're trusting in Jesus. That's how the psalmist can write, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Dealt with, done. See, as Christians, our forgiveness doesn't rest on our keeping asking for forgiveness. This extra sketch, I, I need to deal with the sins of this last week by praying, otherwise, ooh, I'm in trouble. It's not, it's not the Christian life. If we've already been forgiven, when we entrusted ourselves to the Lord Jesus and his once-for-all death for sin, then what do we do when we ask for forgiveness daily? What is Jesus asking us to do and why is he asking us to do it? Let me suggest two positive reasons for us. The first, uh, we ask for forgiveness as an expression of repentance and faith. Imagine uh, you go to lunch uh, after the service uh, at Roland's house. Roland's now worried that we're all going to bowl around to his. Uh, Imagine, you go to lunch at Roland's house, uh, and as you uh, walk in the door, you take your coat off, and you knock over a vase, and it falls to the floor, and it shatters. Shatters beyond repair, just shards of pottery on the floor. Uh, Now you feel bad, because you've broken the vase, and so you apologise to Roland. I'm so sorry that I've broken it. And you think to yourself... Roland's quite a classy guy. It's probably not from Ikea. Let's say maybe it's from uh, John Lewis or, or like an antique shop or something. You're thinking, okay, so can I, can I buy you a new vase? Roland, can I replace it? And Roland, because he's a gracious guy, says, no, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Sit down, have lunch, don't worry. It's on me. You think, okay, brilliant. So you enjoy a meal together... Uh, and as you go uh, home at the end of the day, you're still sort of slightly treading in bits of pottery that are in the carpet. So uh, you apologise again. You say, look, it's done. It's dealt with. Don't worry about it. And so you go. Uh, and a month goes by, and uh, you've forgotten really about the bars. And then as you come out of the tube one day, you pick up a copy of the Evening Standard, and you see that Sotheby's have had uh, an auction of pottery. And there's been a new world record set. Uh, a little vase has been sold for uh, £10 million. Apparently Ming Dynasty vase, uh, very few of them like it left in the world. £10 million vase. And as you glance over at the picture of this vase, to your horror, you realise it's the spit of Roland's vase that you shattered. Now what do you do? you suddenly realise that this thing that you've broken was 
vastly more valuable than you ever realised. Now, Vernon knew in this, imagining now that he's got a 10 million pound Mars at home, um, Vernon knew, it's, it's, you know, if you own something like that, it's been in his family for years, it's an heirloom, whatever, he knows. At the point when he forgives the debt, he knows what it is he's forgiving. Because you as the person uh, haven't figured that out yet. But what do you do when you discover that it's not an Ikea or a John Lewis or an antique shop vase, it's a, a priceless Ming vase? I think you probably say something to Roland, don't you? I think that's how relationships work. The next time you see Roland, if you're spending time with him, you'd probably say, look, mate, I'm so sorry. I've realised what I've done. I think you do that. I think that's how relationships work. Now you can see where I'm going, can't you? If you're a Christian today, you've repented of your sin. You've recognised that by the things that you've said and thought and done, you've offended God and you've broken relationship with him. You've broken aspects of his world. And having recognised that, you've believed Jesus' promise that he has dealt with all of that at the cross. You've come to him for forgiveness and God has said, it's done. It's dealt with. The debt is paid. But when that happens, each of us here are Christians, at our estimation of the value of what it is we've broken, the consequences of what it is we've done, were Ikea vase kind of thinking. Our view of sin was small then. And that knowledge gap, if you like, has gradually gone away as uh, week by week, month by month, as we spent time in God's word together, we've come to realise actually our sin is not Ikea bars kind of sin. It is more like Ming Rumpels kind of sin. Now that appreciation comes slowly. As we're challenged by God's word, as we're challenged by each other, as we speak the truth in love to each other, we come to realise actually the offence, that the, the breakage that we've caused is fast. And as we come to realise that, well, it doesn't lead us down into the depths of a kind of morbid depression. We don't need to be beating ourselves up about it because we're forgiven. So actually, as we come to appreciate the Ming vast character of our sin, at the same time, we come to appreciate the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus even more because he's dealt with it there. We come to appreciate God's character even more, just the same way that you'd think a lot more of Roland and his grace if you realised that you've broken a Ming vase and not Mark here. See, that is the Christian life. That is how we grow as Christians. These three things working in parallel, a growing appreciation of sin, a growing appreciation of the cross that deals with that sin, and so a growing appreciation of God's glory, his character, his mercy. So what do we do as we pray this prayer, forgive us our sins? Well, we're simply going through this process of realising I'm aware of my sin in a new way And so as I spend time with God, it's eminently appropriate that I just recognise that in some way. Not in order to wipe the slate clean, because that was dealt with. But as an expression of what it is to live in relationship with somebody who's forgiven you.
That's worth just thinking as you reflect on your own Christian life. Are, are we making progress in that area? Is God's grace, his character becoming more wonderful to us? Is our appreciation of what Jesus did at the cross becoming greater? Is our appreciation of our sins still Ikea vase? Or are we seeing it increasingly as a mini vase? That's how you grow as a Christian. And, and part of that comes through being specific about recognising, being convicted of our sins. And this prayer simply gives us a a pattern and a discipline of doing that together. So let me encourage you just just to get specific as you pray this prayer, not to to spiel it out in automatic pilots, but actually to, as we were thinking about last week, to kind of play a variation, to riff on this line of the Lord's Prayer. And to put into words specifically, actually, what, what are the things I'm asking forgiveness for? What are the things where actually God is convicting me? It's a ming vase, not a kid vase. Here's the first good reason to be praying this uh, line of prayer. Uh, to express ongoing repentance and faith as we become more convicted uh, of what we've done. Uh, here's a second, a much shorter one. We pray this simply to enjoy being forgiven. Uh, suppose uh, I begin the day by sinning against uh, Katie. I don't know what it might have been. Maybe I forgot to mention something to her and now her whole day is going upside down. That happens. Whatever it is, I've, I've sinned against Katie in some way. Now, uh, objectively, we're still married. See, the foundation of our marriage is not my performance as a husband, wonderfully. Actually, it's something else. Uh, It is the promises uh, that we made to one another. Actually, day by day, Katie remains married to me, not because of my performance, but because of the daily choice that she makes to stand by those promises. So if I sin against Katie, and yet my standing is secure because of the promises she's made to me, why would I say sorry? It's because I love her. And because having wronged her now, my sin against her is an obstacle which stands in the way of our enjoying our relationship. And so you ask for forgiveness in order to, to, to see that obstacle removed and to be able to enjoy the relationship once more. That's what's going on uh, in the same way when we confess our sin to God. There's, there's an objective, unchangeable character to our standing before God that is secured by God's promises to us and what Jesus has done in dealing with our sin on the cross. That is secure. But there's a subjective reality to our sin, which is it stands as an obstacle to our enjoying relationship with him. You can think about that. Every sin is an obstacle to enjoying the Christian life. And so one of the ways of dealing with that is simply to pray this line of the Lord's Prayer and to pray variations on it. In order that we can remove the obstacles and enjoy a relationship with God. And we're going to do that now. You glance down. The prayer of confession is there. It's a familiar one. It's one that we use often in the hope that it's one that we can make our own as we pray it together. We're not doing this to wipe away the sins that have accumulated since we last prayed. We're doing this as an expression 
of ongoing repentance and faith. We're doing this to enjoy the relationship with God that Jesus has secured for us. We've been betrayed, we've been lied to, we've been lied about, we've been cheated. Uh, In different ways, to different degrees, all of us have people we're in a position to forgive. And for some of us, we'll be finding that really hard. Because forgiving is costly, and we may be struggling with the cost. We may be wondering whether we'll ever be able to forgive another person. Uh, For others, actually, we're sitting here this morning, and we don't want to forgive. The hurt feels too great, the pain is still too raw, but we want to make them pay. We want to get even. Uh, I'm aware there'll be many of us here who, uh, in the life of this church family or others, will have experienced the damage that unforgiveness can do. How are we going to spend, I guess, for a lot of time uh, thinking about it in our midweek groups and the Lent group uh, this week? It, it might well be that, uh, based on what you tell me afterwards, we might give a little series to this. We might spend four or six weeks really picking apart what repentance and forgiveness uh, looks like. But for now, just for this morning, I just want us to see that if you'd call yourself a Christian, you've got to take forgiveness seriously. Because Jesus does. He says here quite clearly, forgiven people are to forgive others. At the, uh, at the end of uh, the first reading, just after the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus' comments make it crystal clear, don't they? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive uh, you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, well, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is quite clear there's a connection between being forgiven and granting forgiveness. Now, the question for us then this morning is how, how does that connection work? Uh, in chapter 18 of Mark's Gospel, uh, Linda just read it for us. Jesus is telling a, a parable to explain why forgiven people are to forgive others. Uh, let's pick it up there. Uh, glance down with me. Verse uh, 25. A king uh, gathers his servants together to settle accounts. It's a picture, if you like, of uh, judgment day. And he begins with a servant who owes uh, 10,000 talents. Now, that is an astronomical amount. Okay? This is Ming Var's debt. And of course the man can't pay. And so he begs for mercy. Be patient with me, he says, and I will pay back everything. And what happens? Verse 27. The king does three things. He has pity. He cancels the debt. And he lets the servant go. That is what the king's forgiveness looks like. He has pity. He cancels the debt. And he lets the person go. Now what's happening? As as Jesus sets up the parable for us, uh, he's making two things very clear. That this first servant is at once in debt to the king, and as we're about to discover, he's owed money himself. So he needs forgiveness from the king, and he's in a position to grant forgiveness uh, to a fellow servant. It's a picture of somebody who's sinned against God and who's been sinned against themselves. In other words, uh, all of us. That's 
the first thing. The second thing is just to note the size of the debts here. The, the size of the debt he is owed is entirely dwarfed by the amount he himself owes. You know, put it there in the, the diagram. Reality. He's got a Ming vase style debt uh, and he's owed by comparison uh, very little. That's reality. Uh, and at this point we're wondering, well, what's the servant going to do? Uh, we might expect uh, that he might, uh, in the light of the forgiveness he's received, be something like his king. We might expect his heart to have been softened by the king's mercy. We might think he'd be so in awe uh, of this grace that he's received that, that he might show grace to another. We might hope that as the king, uh, as the king's servant, as he goes out to do the king's business, he might display something of the king's character. What happens? Verse 28. He grabs the servant by the throat. He's choking him. He demands repayment. And the second servant says to him the same words that he spoke to the king. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But this servant, unlike his king, shows no mercy. And the true king is so appalled by what he hears that he reverses the decision. The forgiveness is withdrawn. The first servant now is thrown into jail. And the final sting in the tale for us is there in verse 35. This, says Jesus, is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What is Jesus saying? Forgiven people are to forgive others. Why so? The servant in the parable is a picture of a profound heart problem that we instinctively kind of side against him, I think, uh, reveals how unnatural and inappropriate his response is. His passionate concern for the wrongs that have been done to him ought to be dwarfed by the vastly greater wrongs that he's done to his king. But somehow he's just not seeing the world in perspective. The parable teaches that at the end of the Christian life, when we stand before the king, if we've received his heart-transforming grace, we won't see the world that way. As we become increasingly aware of all that we've been forgiven by God, it will change our hearts, and it will change the way that we see and we feel the wrongs that are done against us will be enabled, if you like, to to come down from the the moral high ground that we make for ourselves, the kind of, the the big podium of self-righteousness that we build, and instead stand alongside people as fellow sinners and forgive them. But we'll never be able to do that for as long as we have an Ikea bar's view of our own sin. For as long as we're building at those great mountains of self-righteousness. To be able to forgive people, we need that ever-expanding view of our own sin, of God's grace, of the accomplishments of the cross. See, Jesus says there's a connection between uh, the forgiveness that we show others and the forgiveness that we ourselves have received. How is that connection working? We don't forgive in order to be forgiven. We forgive because we've been forgiven and more and more we're realising that. 
as we finish there. There will be some of us here this morning who have been profoundly wrong by us. And there will be a range of responses to those wrongs. But in the light of what Jesus says, we've got to take granting forgiveness seriously. Some of us may be refusing forgiveness. Maybe we feel that people ought to be made to pay. And, and we're doing that in a host of ways. Perhaps we're withdrawing from them relationally. Maybe we're bad-mouthing them to other people. Whatever the means of doing it, we're, we're trying to extract repayment for the debt. So the Lord's Prayer in this parable suggests that is a, a dangerous place to be spiritually. So we need to take action. We need to start, I think, by asking God to show us our own sin. Because only then will we be stepping down from the moral high ground and coming alongside people as fellow sinners who've been saved by grace. If it's something you're struggling to do to forgive another person, well, maybe talk and pray with somebody else, somebody who you trust, who you know loves you. Speak to them about why you're struggling to let go of the grudge, why you're justifying the refusal to forgive. As church family, we want to come alongside each other in this. Because we know if we're putting each other in relational jail, if you like, we're, we're hampering our ability to enjoy life together and to serve Christ. Now, some of us may be refusing to forgive, but I guess for many of us here, we feel the challenge of these verses slightly differently. It may be we've experienced a huge wrong, and in our better moments we'd love to be able to forgive, but it's just so hard. To, to forgive the debt, to, to have pity and to desire the good for that other person, to, to let them go free, it's a huge cost to pay. And the reality will be as time goes by, even having determined that we want to forgive somebody, days will come when it'll be painful. We'll, we'll come to a deeper realisation of just what it is we've forgiven and it will hurt us to keep choosing to grant that forgiveness two things to say to encourage us in that firstly forgiveness is a process forgiveness is a process so we're not like God in that God knows the cost of the debts that he forgives the moment he grants them at the point when Jesus died on the cross God knew all of your sin past, present and future. And if you're a Christian, he knew that Jesus was taking all of them. He knew the price that was being paid. Now we don't know in that way. As time goes by, we become increasingly aware of the breakage, the damage that has been done. And so we need to recommit to granting that forgiveness. And now to encourage those of us who are finding that a costly process to walk down, that is evidence that forgiveness is real. That is evidence of God's grace at work in your life. So be encouraged that you're wrestling with it. Uh, forgiveness is a process for us. Because at the moment we grant forgiveness, we don't know the size of the debt that we're cancelling. Uh, secondly, as an encouragement... Our capacity to forgive grows as we grow. 
uh, if our ability to forgive is linked to how much we know we've been forgiven, then today you may be struggling to forgive. Well, tomorrow, if we're making those small steps, if we're becoming more aware of our own sin, if we're coming down off the moral high ground, then tomorrow it will be slightly easier. See, one part of the solution for being forgiven, uh, forgiving people is to pray the Lord's Prayer. To, to get specific about our own sin, to allow God to grow our awareness of the Ming vast debt that we have to him and that's been forgiven. But having said it's a process and having said it grows as we grow, we need to be careful of making excuses for ourselves and putting it off. Forgiving someone, it may take time. It may well be helpful to get support and encouragement from other people. But Jesus says it does need to be done. In a year's time, if we've made no progress in forgiving the wrong that we feel today, that would be a dangerous place to be. See, the wonderful encouragement in this, as in all areas of the Christian life, is that obedience is never impossible because God gives us the grace that we need. His grace is always enough. You can pay, if you like, the cost uh, that somebody else has done to you out of the riches of God's grace to you. That's how it works. Over time, as you go deeper into the gospel, God will graciously supply you with the resources you need to forgive people. See, this line of the Lord's Prayer, it is, as all the other lines have been, a wonderful blessing to us. As our awareness of our sin grows, it gives us words to say, to express our ongoing repentance, to ask for forgiveness daily so that we can enjoy life with God. As we struggle to forgive others, it imposes that discipline of coming back to and staring ourselves in the face of God's word and recognising we're sinners saved by grace. So that increasingly our hearts can go out to uh, the people who wrong us because we're sinners just like them. We're no different. And so we can grow in our ability to forgive them. I'm going to suggest we pause. It may be, uh, as we sing in a moment, Amazing Grace, that you'd like to stand and sing. It may be you'd just like to sit quietly and reflect upon these words. Reflect upon God's grace offered and shown to you in the Lord Jesus. The resources that you need actually to forgive others. Let's take a moment. Let's sing together.